this is a really important day. Uh, I did not realize how significant today was. But the Holy Spirit just began speaking uh, to me this weekend about today. And I'm like, hey, I'm shocked how God works. How many know God's always working out such intricate detail? He's working out so many things that are so fascinating, and we miss most of them. Do you agree with that? Like, he's just that amazing. And um, today, I'm going to talk to you out of uh, an interesting perspective, but uh, it hit me. And Tracy and I just began to discuss this a little bit yesterday. This is the last day that I will ever preach out of my 40s. And the next time I preach, <clears throat> I'll be preaching out of my 50s. And it's a really interesting, I mean, I started thinking, like, what's the last message you should speak when you're concluding your 40s? And, uh, and I, I realized something. This is wild. We have been on this incredible journey now for a, a long time, like uh, different seasons we focused on, but we're discovering where Jesus is in every book of the Bible. And it's been fantastic. I have, I have grown as a Christian so much as we've looked at this. But this is what blew me away, I realized. We are today in the 39th book of the Bible, and that's the book of Malachi. And that's the concluding book of the Old Testament. And this is the concluding message of my 40s. And next week will be the beginning book of the New Testament. And it will be the beginning message out of a new era. And I believe it's significant for us. And again, I'm just, I feel the Lord does this type of stuff on purpose. I mean, think about all oh, how this had to orchestrate and land correctly. But what we're about to do is move out of, and we'll see today, the, the, what the work of God was in the earth in the days of Malachi in the context of history. And, and then there's these 400 years of silence where God's not speaking. And then Jesus comes on the scene in an entirely different historical context. And, and we're going to understand that and see that under Roman rule that was taking place, you know, as we start to look in the book of Matthew. But the thing that I want you to understand is the transition from the season before to the season next was a transition of another revelation of the awakening of the church getting past the institution and the, the, the ritualistic expression in the earth to the, the human capacity and what God was doing to empower. He poured out his spirit on all flesh. That's what we're coming into. I want to challenge you that we would actually combine our faith together and believe that today we bring closure and conclusion to anything ritualistic, to anything that is not fresh and alive about our faith. It's the whole message of Malachi and that we be awake. I really believe this weekend has been this preparation. I can't tell you the way these kids have cried out to God, all ages crying out to God, and many of them saying, my life is forever changed. And, and I know they're just kids and they say that in a moment. No, their lives are forever changed. A substantial deposit from heaven has been made in the hearts of this next generation. And if we're not careful, we grow cynical and we hear statements like that and we don't really engage our faith. And I want to say to you today, let's engage our faith. Let's believe God for a new season coming upon our church family and on the body of Christ as we begin to step into this next dimension of the call of God. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, reconfigure anything within us that you need to reconfigure and help us to see that clear message in the book of Malachi today in Jesus' name. 
Jesus' name. So this whole idea, we've just been going back, and, and it's been really cool. Ultimately, we'll have 66 30 to 40-minute expressions online. And when you find yourself studying your Bible, and you need to study your Bible, you need to make sure you're falling in love with the Savior, not falling in love with the speaker. You need to make sure that you know your God. You don't know someone else's God. When you go back and you're spending personal time alone with God, I want to raise up a mighty army who knows their God, not a bunch of religious people, but people that really have a relationship with God and experience the power of God in their everyday lives. Their words have substance, their eyes have fire, and they're a mighty army in the earth. That's who God's called us to be. And as you find your place, as you find your place of seeking God and knowing God and reading the Scripture and you, you're looking at a, a book of the Bible that you don't necessarily understand, you'll be able to go online to our website and there will be 66 messages where Jesus is uniquely revealed in each one of those books and we'll give a brief understanding of history and context. What are we doing? We're trying to equip you to fulfill your call, not dazzle you with whoever can preach or teach that. We, we want you to be equipped by God to explore and grow deeper in the things of God. So God, I believe, is wanting to stir this for us. So let's get the context and history of the only Italian book in the Bible, Malachi. It's just a bad joke. Four, here's, the, here's the context of what we've been looking in the previous few books. Uh, the Israelites, they had gone into Babylonian captivity 70 years. They came back, and then they grew distracted. And now in the book of Malachi... The Israelites have come back and they have initiated, the, the temple's been reestablished and they have initiated ritualistic worship and the expression of worship is going on per the temple uh, according to God's direction. And they've been doing this now for a hundred years. The book of Malachi, that's where we are. They've been doing this for a hundred years and they've been looking for God's blessing. Okay, we've come out of exile. We've done what God told us to do. We're looking for what God's going to do for us. And that's the whole mindset that uh, Micah starts to address as they look at that. Here's the problem. They were doing what God had told them to do, but they lacked favor and were apathetic, and they were not doing what the way they were supposed to, having the how deeply seated in their heart. So how does that relate? Like, relates really well, doesn't it? How I many know it is easy to do what and neglect how, and when we do that, we settle for empty, dull religion? That, and that's what happened. These people had grown apathetic and distracted. They were doing what, but they were neglecting how, and they were settling for a dull, apathetic, ritualistic expression of uh, faithfulness, in a sense. And so Micah shows up and he begins talking about this. How many of you know that it is entirely possible for you and I to do the work of the Lord while neglecting the Lord of the work? I mean, I just got to tell you the excellence and the expression of worship that happens up here can become an entertainment factor if we allow it to become an entertainment factor. But it will never become an entertainment factor because we refuse to allow it to become an entertainment factor. The audience is an audience of one. His name is Jesus. He's why we do what we do. 
I'm never going to be, and I'm sorry, I've had to navigate through this in times past in my own life, and God's begin, you know, in, in a season of time revealing and helping me understand more clearly, but I will never again revert in any way to try to be an entertaining communicator that's a positive motivational speaker hoping to attract a greater crowd, because the danger in all of that is attracting a greater crowd actually pays the bills and, and gets the people in the room, but it doesn't necessarily make disciples. And we're not called to be crowd pleasers. We're called to be disciple makers. I am called by God not to be a keeper of the aquarium. I'm called to be a fisher of men. And I'm very serious about that. I know that I'm going to answer to God. I know our elders and our staff, our leaders, we're going to answer to God. We're going to stand before God one day. And he's not going to say, did you grow a big church? Did you have a big ministry? He's going to say, whose lives were changed because of you? How did the power of God's kingdom break into the earth as a release of what I wanted to do in the day and the generation in which you lived? And you have a great responsibility in all of this. You don't show up to this place to see and evaluate if you like what's going on in the room. You show up in this place to contribute to what God wants to do in the room. Your hand clap is a declaration of praise that the enemy has no place in this house, and we are celebrating the King of kings and the Lord of lords, hissing the enemy away in every direction. Your shout brings down walls that seem impossible when we're singing and you just cannot contain in words anymore and you just have to scream. I found myself, I was, I was thinking, I hope I'm not distracting the worship team because I just began to bellow today. Sometimes there are groanings that cannot be uttered. Sometimes there are sounds that come out of heaven that are born in our heart that we cannot articulate. God wants to do something. And I'm not interested, and hopefully you're not either because you'll be very uncomfortable if you are. I'm not interested in playing any kind of religious games. I'm going to drive toward this today, but we live in a generation that has a faith. And because I have a faith, I participate in church. God's never called you to live a life. This is not a cue. Don't put up the slide. I'm ahead of myself. But God has never called you to live a life that you can live without him. And a lot of people in our generation have a faith, but they don't know what it is to live by faith. And much like the Israelites in the days of Malachi, we've lost our way. We've lost our passion. We've lost our purpose. And we've embraced rhetoric and routine that substantiates success. I'm just on a soapbox. I want to challenge you to understand something. This is a huge revelation for me right now. And, and I'm going to, I want to invite you. Uh, you'll see books out in the lobby, and the book sales always go to support the orphanages. And sometimes we might use that in benevolent needs for people in need, but primarily it's toward orphanages. So when I tell you what I'm about to tell you, just understand the heart behind that's not for me to sell books for me, but there's a new book that I've come out with that's just now, uh, you, it's not even on Amazon yet, but you can pick it up in the lobby at a discounted price, and the proceeds are helping the orphanage, and it's the basis of everything I'm talking about. It's why it's so alive in me, but it's called religious confusion. And it's the pursuit of success that these, uh, that, I, I want to be gentle but, but truthful, that many church leaders like myself 
have defaulted and given in to the development of a business plan and the cultivation of an organizational expression rather than understanding God wants to establish the body of Christ as mighty men and women of God born from revelation. And so the whole pursuit of success, and now we're cultivating an entire curriculum that we're going to do further consulting with other churches on this idea. But I'm just going to tell you right now, I, I'm, I'm going to declare this to you as I'm last preaching my 40s right here. Uh, this, I'm just going to lay it out this way. God is bringing a shift to the church, and I believe this shift is about to take place where people are going to be fed up and sickened by the idea of different people chasing after other people's success rather than multiplying their own identity. God wants to do something in you that looks like you. God wants to do something in us that looks like us. He does not want us to chase what he's doing somewhere else to try and duplicate that success. He wants to multiply the identity of the house and that which he's born in our hearts. And there's something ferocious in the heart of God right now as we enter into this season in the church. How many of you want to go where I'm talking about? I'm just going to tell you right now, it's going to hurt. It is not easy to get where I'm talking. Malachi said that. Malachi brought this revelation. Malachi simply means my messenger, God's messenger. Malachi is God's messenger. Bringing God's message. Jesus is revealed in the book of Malachi. Again, Jesus revealed in every single book of the Bible, uniquely, specifically, exceptionally so. Jesus is revealed in every book. Jesus is revealed in the book of Malachi as the messenger of truth that brings a course correction to the passion that God desires for all of us to have. So I want to just pick up in Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, and it says, See, I will send my messenger... For he will be like a refiner's fire. Fire. Are you ready? You want to go where God's called you to go? I'm just telling you, I'm willing to go where God's called me to go. I know it's going to require fire. I know it's going to require fire. Everybody wants to be a diamond. Nobody wants to go through the heat and the pressure it takes to get there. I'll send my messenger. He'll be like a refiner's fire. Verse 3, he will sit as a refiner. He will, everyone say that with me. He will sit as a refiner. Ready? He will sit as a refiner. That's a very important uh, understanding with this particular text and context of what was going on. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Very interesting analogy. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by in the former years. There are offerings and sacrifices we can make that are not acceptable to God. Do you understand that? You can live your life sacrificially, religiously sacrificially, making necessary sacrifices because you have a faith, but you are not living in the faith, and you do not honor God with the passion of God by the way we do what we do. If we're not careful, we slip into that. And it's a dangerous place to be. How many of you believe that there's probably a lot more Christians in our generation doing what I'm talking about than they even realize? That's the book of Malachi. They were doing it. They had been in captivity. They came back. They had been doing this for 100 years. They trained their kids in what they were doing. And they lacked the core passion that God was searching for in the sacrificial expression of their lives. Transformation, here's your first blank, write this in if you would please. Transformation is a process that takes time. 
I want to be more like Jesus. It's a process that takes time. And notice, God sits. He sits. You said it. We, we said it together. God sits as a refiner. God, do something here. Do you not see the fire I'm going through? How many of you have been in a fire? Do you not see the fire I'm going through? God, get me out of the fire. Get, I want out. I want out of the fire. I don't want to be in the fire. Get me out of the fire. We learn in the book of, uh, in the Old Testament early on when we were looking at Daniel and, and the three Hebrew children, we learn sometimes God delivers you from the fire. Sometimes God delivers you in the fire. Sometimes there's a purpose for the fire, and we're discovering that now in the book of Malachi. There's a reason for the fire. And I want to explain it to you so that you can recognize and understand. But let me just say, God is not trying to get you where you want to go. He's trying to take you where you need to be. And we don't always know where we need to be. Many times we know where we want to go. But you have to understand with God, sometimes he takes you on a detour. And later you realize that detour was actually the destination he had in mind all along. One of the biggest problems with parents is we try to run ahead and prepare the road for our children instead of preparing our children for what's to come. We're always trying to avoid anything that they might have to face. We run ahead and try and protect them. Sometimes we just need to prepare them and release them and let them grow strong through their own battles in life. I'm not, I didn't say one of the problems with parents. I said one of the problems with us parents, we parents. I understand. I'm a daddy. I understand. I've got two girls. And sometimes God has to commission me to step back and leave it alone and let them walk through the pain of whatever the situation is. Sometimes the absence of the voice you think you need the most causes you to rely on God more than you could have had you heard the voice you think you need the most. Hmm. The silversmith, I mean, this is a refiner of silver. How does this work, a refiner of silver? And I've I've studied this over the years because I've noticed this verse, and it's always been so meaningful to me. But the silversmith, he leaves the silver over the fire. He doesn't move. He just sits like, get up, God, what are you doing? You see the fire? Hey, I'm burning up here. And he's just sitting there. And the refiner just sits there, and he holds it over the fire intently. He never leaves it. He's intently close. He's always close. He's intently close as you're over the fire, as it's uncomfortable for you. And the dross and the impurities begin to surface to the top. And the silver then begins to produce a greater clarity as a result of this process of purification. And any silversmith knows that you hold the silver over the fire and, and, and it gets really hot. And it gets, I'm sure it would be like the analogy for us is incredibly uncomfortable. And the silversmith would remove the silver from the fire at the exact split second that he sees his image in the silver. It's gotten so clear and pure that he now sees his own image, and that's when he must remove it from the fire so the silver does not get damaged. Do you understand what I'm talking about? The fire in your life is not to destroy you. The fire in your life is to purify and refine you and cause you to reflect the image of God Almighty in every situation you're going to walk through in your life. Somebody shout! Ha! We are going forward! 
God is fully devoted to his work being done in your life. He is fully devoted to his work being done in your life. How many are thankful God is willing to complete the purpose he has for you? It's going to take time. Will you keep being thankful when it's taking time? It's going to involve fire. Will you keep being thankful as it involves the fire? It's going to hurt. Will you keep being thankful when the circumstances are dealing you pain? Philippians 1, 6, I am sure that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until he finally finished it on that day when Christ Jesus comes back again. God is mightily at work in your life. He's not just trying to do things for you. He's trying to do things in you. And when he does things in you, things will happen before you. As the kingdom of God then begins to be released and waters begin to part and circumstances that look impossible suddenly he begins to substantiate his truth deep within your heart and you become an, a, an entirely different species of person to the planet. Second Corinthians chapter 5, a new creation literally means a species the planet has never known, born again of the origin of deity and God himself. <sighs> Crazy. Like this, this is, how can anybody not like go ballistic over this reality? I am blown away. I am so in love with learning more about who God is for me and who I am for him and who we are together and what he's called us to as a family. Malachi says God will refine so that the offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable to the Lord. It's easy to give when it's easy to give. It's easy to serve when it's easy to serve. It's easy to love when it's easy to love. It's easy to live when it's easy to live. The question is, what are you going to do when it ain't easy? When it's not easy, do you still give? When it's not easy, do you still love? When it's not easy, do you still serve? Malachi reveals something to the people of God that I think is really curious. He reveals that the people were in a crisis when the people did not realize that the people were in a crisis. And again, it's easy to to serve when it's easy to serve, but there's a difference between having a faith and living by faith. Are you going to engage in the difficult times and declare, I not only believe this, but it's a deep-seated conviction, and because I am born of the Spirit, I live according to a different realm. There's another dimension calling the shots in my life. You don't have the power to define me with whatever hate you might send my way. Nobody has the power to define you with whatever hate they might send your way. Other people's opinions do not have the power to define you because God's purposes are greater than anybody's opinion. There's a whole other realm at work within us. I'm so happy I'm preaching today. I'm having so much fun. The people were in a crisis. They didn't know they were in a crisis. And we see this in the book of Revelation about the last day's church. 
It says, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Well, how about that? You have a reputation of being alive. Like you got all these events going on. You got everything happening in every direction. You package it up real well, and you, you, you show the video, and you get people to give money toward what's taking place. And we gather together, and we, we worship, and we do kids' ministry, and we have hospitality, and we have people with signs in the parking lot greeting. Thank you very much for our greeters and coffee and, and all the things. We have a reputation for being alive. We've got all kinds of activity going on on this campus. That You have a reputation for being alive. Are we really alive in the midst of all the activity? Because you're only alive if God says you're alive. It's not your decision to make if you're alive. It's what God has to say about your life. If we're not careful, we fill our lives with activity that makes us feel alive when we're actually really dead. And all of this comes back to one thing. Listen very carefully. It all comes back to one thing, and that is the purposes of God must drive everything that we do. You don't have the luxury of deciding when God says something is a priority, whether or not it's going to be a priority. If you decide something God says is a priority is not going to be a priority in your life, then you will think that you are living when you are actually very dead. Beware. It's very easy to confuse routine for commitment. Very easy. We know what it is in our generation to have a faith. But do we know what it is to live by faith? Your last blank. You were never created to live out a life that you could live without God's help. <clears throat> you weren't created for that. We tend to live lives that we don't need God's help. And then, isn't this true? And then when things get tough and we need God's help, we start begging God for easy. Hear me. We start begging God, praying God. We start asking God for easy. Stop having a faith, asking God for easy, and start living in faith, developing a fighter's frame of mind. How do you face mountains, valleys, and giants? Because most of us, myself included, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to us. It's a new season we're coming into. And most of us look at mountains, valleys, and giants from a total disposition that just begs God to make it easy. Get it out of the way. Just, I don't want to have to deal with this. I, I shouldn't have to go through whatever it is I'm going through. Stop asking God for easy and get in a fighter's frame of mind. The Bible doesn't say ask God to move the mountain. He said move the mountain. You say be mount the mountain be removed. 
David didn't ask God to kill the giant. David killed the giant. There was no question. There were, there were two different perspectives that came. You can have the exact same situation come your way and respond to totally different ways. And Saul responded one way to the giant in an attitude of fear. And David responded another way to the giant. And it was in the, ad- in the atmosphere of God's presence. He said, who is this giant? Who is this guy? Saul looked at how big the giant was compared to Saul. David looked at how small the giant was compared to God. Saul said the giant's too big to kill. David said the giant's too big to miss. How do you handle your mountain? How do you handle your valley? Why don't you stand with me? How do you handle your giant? and And when I say stand, I'm talking about in the natural, but why don't you stand with me in the spirit? Why don't you stand up strong and tall today? Why don't you take the commission of God Almighty today and declare, I'm a man or woman of faith. I'm a man or woman of the word. I'm a man of God, declaring God wants to do something mighty in the earth, and I am a part of his plan. I am a part of his plan. I am in a fight. You feel it? We are in a fight. You know it? Your response to what God is wanting to do in your life is really vitally important. He didn't love you back. He loved you first. And your response to what he does determines his reach into the depth of your life. So let me just commission you. This week, there's always an action point. We believe God's presence is worthy of celebration, huh? We love God's presence in this place. We love to come together and we love to worship and we always keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus is our audience. The heart of God is our absolute pursuit and passion and affection. We love God's presence. We also love the fact that God's presence is for real life and that you don't need to be a spooky spiritual person walking around on the planet freaking out people. Jesus didn't do that. He had friends that didn't understand God. And somehow he interacted in a way that they were, they were willing to listen to what he had to say. They were interested and intrigued. So God's presence is for real life. Every week, whenever we conclude here, I always say, this is, I want to give you your action point, your God's presence for real life action point of the week. I'm just going to take a minute. I'm, I'm bleeding over to what I said with our next thing we're going to try and accomplish, but we're just going to take the time we need. I want to ask you, we're coming into a new season, church. I've had people in the last few months that have been in church all their lives and have never read their Bible all the way through. And in the last few months, people have started emerging saying, I took the turn the page challenge last year, and for the first time in my whole life, I've read the whole Bible through. I want to ask you, Take the time to turn the page. All it is, you get an old-fashioned Bible. If you haven't done it yet, get one. Get a nice one. Start in the book of Genesis. Write the date at the top of the page. And every day, simply turn the page. How many pages? Just one. If you want to turn more, you can, but just one. Every day, turn the page and write the date at the top of the page. You're going to cultivate an heirloom that you're going to leave in the hands of your children, that your children will give to their children one day, and you're going to empower a generation to actually know how to read their Bible by the way you lived your life. You'll never leave a legacy until you first live a legacy, so why don't you live one? Come on. So this week, make the time. This morning, early morning, I put the date, and I, and I put last 
day I'll ever preach out of my 40s. Time for another decade. Time for another season. Time for another anointing. Time for more of what God has in store. Listen, don't you go into seasons of your life ill-prepared. Don't you go into a marriage, you go into that having sought God, fasting, praying, seeking counsel, asking God for direction. You go into the next decade of your life, whatever that looks like for you, go into that seeking counsel, fast, pray. I've been inviting people's input. How do I make the most of this? I know 10 years from now, I'm going to be saying something like this. I'm about to preach my last sermon out of my 50s, and now I'm going to move into preaching out of my 60s. I want to make sure I preach out of my 50s right. I've only got 10 years to do it. What seasons of your life are you just walking into, not paying a bit of attention to what God wants to say? You think you're alive, but maybe you're dead. How many of you need to wake up? Some specific area of your life right now, you know God's dealing with, you need to wake up. Just lift your hands. Hold them up. Hold them up. Wake us up, Lord. Wake us up. We've allowed mountains and valleys and giants to hold us hostage, to deplete our lives, the resource of our faith. Wake us up, oh God. Wake us up to the purposes of God. Wake us up, Lord, to the affection of God. Wake us up to understand what it is you desire to accomplish. Forgive us, Lord, for filling our lives with rhetoric and routine and activity that lacks and neglects the priorities of God. Forgive us, Lord, for the same sin that the, the children of God committed in the days of Malachi. Lord, help us to rise up in a place now and declare that through our faith, giants will fall. Through our faith, mountains will move. Valleys, Lord, will not stop us and waters will part. Let's declare it in our song today. Come on.